Well, good morning, church. Uh, I am I'm so excited about this opportunity to speak to you this morning. Um, those of you who are assembled around your TV sets or your computer monitors, hey, August 1st, we're so excited about August 1st. We're back together, one service, kids together, all of us together. And we're going to start that morning with breakfast. So before the 10 o'clock service, we're going to have breakfast together. The reason Shoney's is out of business in New Orleans is because of Pete Shepherdstein's breakfasts. So you want to be here. So let's all celebrate what God has done in bringing us back together. Well, uh, for those of you um, who some of you know that for about two and a half years, I went through a process of being of ordination through Sovereign Grace churches. And that culminated uh, on Sunday morning, June 3rd, 2018, when you guys welcomed me into the eldership of Lakeview Christian Center. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I had wondered off and on during my three years um, of being an elder ordained why Keith had never asked me to preach. I mean, after all, it is a qualification for elder to be able to preach. Well, recently, Annette and I went off to Wyoming. Some of you guys know that. And I found out in Wyoming, it is illegal to shave, whether you're a man or a woman. Um, <laughs> maybe that's why they have the lowest population in the country. But I came back to New Orleans with the beginnings of a beard. Uh, because, and I, I've kept it because Annette has not given me permission to get rid of it. But um, now three years go by and I have not received any invitation to ever preach. And then I grow a beard. <laughs> and in three weeks, I get this text from Keith Collins. Hey, pal. Uh, I was wondering if you'd be interested in preaching one of the statements of faith. And I thought, Evan May, he had a beard. <laughs> Eric Schmaltz has preached from this pulpit before, he has a beard. Peter Davidson was born with a beard. <laughs> but what didn't fit was Ronald Laitano. I mean, Ronald doesn't have a beard. So I thought, so I went and asked Ronald, I said, Ronald, why is it that you've gotten to preach and you don't have a beard? He said, oh, no, 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 Frank, you are totally wrong. This is my full beard. And so, so. I think I'm onto something, and we need to talk to Mark Prater about this. Our, our pastor may not be a racist, but he's a facist if there ever was one. <laughs> so anyway, let me get on here. Well, as we continue our summer series in uh, what we believe, our statements of faith, my topic is the fourth, creation, providence, and man. Now, you can only imagine how long we would be here this morning <laughs> if I would be talking on all three topics. Um, well, thankfully for you, we're not about to find out. But um, I do want to read from you from the statement of faith on the fourth topic. There's so many things here. Man's creation in God's image. Man, male and female. Marriage, sexuality and singleness. I mean, every one of these topics this morning, you know, particularly on men as male and female. Marriage, sexuality singleness every one of these things are on the front page of the paper today you know, blogs radio broadcasts everything is dealing with these issues but what is most important church for us is to go to the scripture first to find out what the scripture has to say before we begin to listen to fallen man and what fallen man has to say wouldn't you agree with that we have to do that and so i'm not going to touch on any of that this morning the more I tried to do that, the more the Lord just kept bringing me back to creation and providence. And I trust that's what he has for us this morning. Not that we're not going to talk about that. Not that I wouldn't love to talk about that, particularly our being made in the image of God. But I'm just going to read you. I'm going to put my glasses on so I can see this. God creates and rules all things. And this is your handout. In the beginning, the triune God freely, out of nothing, created out of nothing, the universe and everything in it by the word of his power, all for his own pleasure and the display of his glory. God declared the entirety of his creation to be very good. And even in its fallen state, it tells of his greatness and is to be delighted in and stewarded for his glory. 
A supreme creator, God is separate from and transcendent over all he has made. A sovereign Lord, he is present with his creation to sustain all things, govern all creatures, and direct all circumstances in accord with his holy and loving will. In everything, God supremely acts for his glory and for the good of his people in Christ, granting us, hear this, granting us great comfort and unshakable hope in God's love, wisdom, and faithfulness to us in this life and in eternity. That is really good, good news. And so here's a scripture maybe you're not familiar with, but I'll just give it to you real quick. It's not in your notes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created. Now, I just want to give you a sample of three scriptures, a little Whitman sampler of three creation scriptures. And what I want us to do is this, because I don't want to read this to you and you just wait for me to get done. I want this this morning, these scriptures that we read, we're going to read these together. I want them, church, to be our declaration that we actually believe this. This actually changes the way we live. This actually motivates me to get up out of bed in the morning. And so let's just read some of these from Nehemiah 9, 6. I want you to to read out loud with me and let it be our declaration as a church. Here we go. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. He's made it all. He's made it clear. The host of heaven worships him because they see him as he is. Let's read Colossians 1.16. As a declaration of what we believe this morning. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Were there thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Nations, governments, kings, presidents, prime ministers. Things we see. Things we don't see. All things were created through him and by him. John 1, 1 through 3. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We see here a clear declaration through God's Word. That he has made all things. All things have been made through him. And all things have been made made for him. And he preserves all things. Everything that there is. Well, the the God of the Bible, unlike the God of several religions, particularly deism, did not first create the universe and then vacate the universe off to just create another galaxy or world. Because the God of deism has no intention of interacting with his creation. That would not be a statement of our faith. Deism is the belief in the existence of a supreme being, specifically of a creator who does not intervene with the universe. Where the God of the Bible finishes what he begins, the non-existent Bible, uh, the non-existent God of deism begins what he does not finish. There is no just, merciful, or loving, sovereign providence in this religion of deism. Whereas the God of the Bible is nothing but just, merciful, and a loving, sovereign providence. You know, it's interesting, and it's really so sad, actually, sad testimony, that after 45 years of being in Christ, I still so often look at the world through the lens of my little eye wisdom what I think should be and should not be. Little I, me, believes I want God to see things through my little eye lens as well. It's like a, like a kid looking through the wrong side of a telescope. Just all, all he's going to see 
is a little blurry hole on the, on the other side. See, my little eye wants God to define himself according to my little eye understanding of what he should be doing and what he should not be doing. Little eye me wants this almighty God to agree with my little eye assessment of things. I, big eye God is what I want. I want his ways to be understandable and manageable to me. And if not, he'd better have a good explanation on my desk in the morning. You know, today I am confident that the Lord wants my little eye view of things to be replaced with a surrender to his big eye will that says, even to this degree, Lord, if you slay me, still I will serve you. Our big eye father knows best. So let's pray this morning together for his presence to speak to us and to let us look, begin to look and look in ways maybe we never have before through the right end of the telescope of God's word. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're asking you to replace our oftentimes little eye view of you and circumstances surrounding us with your big eye sovereignty. Father, we need to become, we want to become comfortable with mystery. It's not essential that we understand you, the God of the Bible, but it is essential that we believe you. We need your big eye perspective as much as we can have it so that when we don't understand what is going on around us, and Lord, you know this morning there are many of us in this meeting who are in that boat. Lord, that little I me would be submitted to my big I God because you, you see all, you are in all, and you control all. We believe this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See, the God of deism and other religions believes if it's going to be, it's up to thee. I'm sure you've heard that. Then there's fatalism, which decrees in its dogma, what will be will be. Stinks for you. And as the bumper sticker, the great fatalistic bumper sticker decrees, life's a bleep and then you die. And some, you know, interestingly enough, believe that providence and fatalism are synonymous. That could not be any further from the truth. Scripture is replete with God ordains, God intervenes, God directs, God determines. And what God determines in his creation, in his providence, he sees to it. He sees to it of what happens and he sees to it that what doesn't happen. Hear me, there is no such thing as a cosmic accident. There is no such thing, no such thing as a cosmic accident. This God who created all things through him and for him. Now preparing this, this message, I just got kind of stopped in my tracks at this point. And I, I really hope that you will hear me as I, I share this with you. Um, you know, I've, I've heard people through my lifetime say jokingly, um, if they're the youngest sibling or maybe the only one, first and last born, uh, jokingly say that, yeah, I was the family accident. Maybe you've heard that said about you, if you fall that into that category. Maybe, maybe if you are the youngest, particularly if there's been years between you and the next the sibling before you, uh, that is something you have said. But possibly you are here this morning and you do feel like the accident, the unintended, the unwanted, the mistake, and possibly the one who heard these crushing words, I wish you'd never been born. Or you find yourself in the place where you now find yourself saying, I wish I'd never been born. Why don't you just hear scripture this morning? It's not in your notes. It's not up on the board. It's actually in the Bible. It's Revelation 4, 11. You may have to turn there if you'd like, but just scripture for us to know in this context. This is what... John writes of the elders bowing down before the throne of God. He says, 
they declare, these 24 elders, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Well, why? Why is he worthy to receive glory and honor and power? For you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. Your parents may have said you were an accident, wish you'd never been born, but you were no accident to the God who created all things according to his will. I just want to encourage you, reject that lie, the lie that maybe the lie that you've held on to maybe your whole life. Let those demonic words of condemnation ring in your ears for not another moment. Yeah, things may be difficult now, really difficult now. But the psalmist writes, weeping lasts for the night, maybe a long night, but joy comes in the morning. Let this be that morning that you believe that lie that you were an accident no more. Let it be dead and buried this morning right where you're sitting. Right where you are. Drink to the dregs of the truth that God has created all things and created you in his image. His desire and his delight is to reveal to you and through you the word that you are. You are the apple of his eye. And he created you to show the brilliance of himself. To experience the brilliance of his love. Abide in the truth that he has made you the image of the invisible God. He has placed you and placed his spirit within you that you would know this. Paul wouldn't have written in the scripture if it wasn't for us to know that you would know how long and high and deep and wide is the love of God. And that you would know him with a knowledge that surpasses your natural ability to, to know anything so that you would be, so that you would be, this is why, so that you would be filled up to all the fullness of God. I don't know how full that is. I've been full before. But all the fullness of God must be incredibly full and incredibly satisfying. You know why? Because the more we are filled up with the truth of what God has to say about himself and what he has to say about us, the less room there will be for the lies of the enemy to come and fill in that space. That's what's so important. I just want this, this beautiful statement from Dane Ortland from his book, Gentle and Lowly, just to speak to us this morning, those having challenges with this. Ortland writes, but the Bible takes us by the hand. I just hear it. Let the Bible take you by the hand and lead us and leads us out from under that feeling that his heart, God's heart for us wavers according to our loveliness, our loveliness concerning whose valuation of Loveliness. God's heart confounds our intuitions of who he is. On the cross, we see what God did to satisfy his yearning for us. Let me read that again. On the cross, we see what God did to satisfy his yearning for us. He went that far. He went all the way. And then Orland writes, well, this hit me. Repent of your small thoughts of God's heart. Repent and let him love you. Repent of your small thoughts of God's heart. Repent and let him love you. I wrote here in your notes. Never ever let your circumstances define God's love for you. Always and only let the circumstances of the naked and bloody Son of God hanging from a wretched cross define his love for you. You know, Spurgeon helps us to understand the, the difference between God's providence, his seeing to his will being accomplished in all of his creation as opposed to the senselessness of fatalism. This is what Spurgeon wrote. He said, and again, just hear this. He wrote, 
Fate is blind. Providence has eyes. Fate is blind, the thing that just must be. It's just an arrow shot from a bow that must fly onward, but has no target. Not so providence. Providence is full of eyes. There's a design in everything and an end to be answered. All things are working together and working together for good. They are not done because they must be done. They are done because there is some reason for it. It is not only that the thing is, because it must be, but the thing is because it is right that it should be. God hath not arbitrarily marked out the world's history. He had an eye to the great architecture of perfection when he marked all the aisles of history, all the aisles of your history, by the way, and placed all the pillars of events in the building of time. And who can argue that God doesn't have perfect vision? Unfortunately, many do. Every attribute God has supports the truth that he has good eyes. That should be so encouraging to us. Solomon just takes all those statements and boils it down to a short proverb. The Lord has made everything. Everything. That everything includes you and me for its purpose. The Lord has made you for his purpose. That is great news. It gives us great hope. See, throughout the scriptures, you know, throughout the, it's really fun. We get a front row seat. We do. As we read the Bible, we get a front row seat through the scriptures of God's providence. And this is one of my favorites out of Mark chapter 4. 35 to the end of the chapter, Jesus, in the beginning of the fourth chapter, we see that Jesus has spent the entire day teaching his disciples. He's taught them three parables, three parables on faith, the parable of the sower, you know, the four soils. He's taught them the parable of the growing seed. He's taught them the parable of the mustard seed. And this is what Mark records on that day. When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So all day, they're being taught, and at the end of the day, they're going to take a little boat ride. Now, possibly Jesus' words, and we need Jesus' words to speak to us here, to speak to us here. The morning, faith chalk talk was about to uh, turn into uh, a real test of the Savior's emergency bailout system. But what is going to happen when Jesus says they are going to the other side? Do you know what Jesus was about to do to those disciples in terms of their confidence and their little eye ability to skillfully get to the other side? Now look, Remember, these guys, a lot of fishermen here, these guys made their living in these waters. They grew up in these waters. They learned life lessons in these waters. Heck, they peed in these waters. They did everything in these waters. Unlike my grandchildren who do not do that in my pool. There will be confession one day. And what did the disciples do when the storm started well, let me just, let me just back up something. He said, and I think I could just hear them, right? Remember, it said, the Bible says, and they took him. It doesn't say, and Jesus took them. It says, and they took him into the boat with them. I mean, I can just hear them. We got this, Jesus. They took him into the boat. So they thought, they, they didn't say, Jesus, take the wheel. They said, Jesus, take a nap. And so he took a nap. And the storm came to tuck little Jesus and his little disciples in to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And what did the disciples do when the storm started kicking up? No problem. We've seen this plenty of times. Happens all the time. Violent winds and rain happens and it's over. No big deal. But this storm was different. So different that the disciples could not keep the water out of the boat. And not only that, the boat may not just be swamped. The boat may not be able to hold together. 
because probably this fishing boat was not off the manufacturer's showroom floor that morning. And what were they absolutely not thinking? This is what they were absolutely not thinking, the same thing that I would absolutely not be thinking. Hey, guys, remember Jesus just said that we're going to the other side? So let's keep bailing, but let's bail in faith. We don't need to be concerned. Jesus said it. I believe it. And that settles it. <laughs> so what did they do? Oh, well, que sera, sera. Um, I guess this is our fate. No way. Water pouring from them. Winds blowing like you can, and I cannot imagine. Waves tossing that boat around like it was nothing. Jesus is asleep. They go to wake him up. And here's, I think, the providential point. When God says you and I are going to the other side, whatever or wherever that other side is, you and I are going to the other side. He's going to take us to the other side, even if it looks like he's fallen asleep in the middle of what we think is our fiercest storm. The God of love commanded them to get in the boat. And the love of God commandeered them to the other side. Now, the other side may be meeting on the beautiful shore in the sweet by and by, as the song says, and Pharaoh will probably sing to you at some point in time. But he's in the boat with us. Because New Testament saint, we are the boats that he is in. He is in us by his providential, merciful, grace-filled determination. Now, I just can't help but wonder, because I know me, how many of us are wondering if God is with us in the middle of our storms? Not just sort of there, off in another universe. Well, what did the disciples think? Did they think Jesus was in the middle of their storm? Master, winds blowing, howling, rain, drenched, soaked. Master, don't you care if we're drowning? Jesus is finally roused, probably more by that statement than the storm. Don't I care that you're drowning? Don't you understand that you're already drowned? You're dead in your sins, and I'm here to rescue you from a much bigger, longer lasting storm than this. Then Jesus turns and he tells that demon-directed storm simply to shut up. And all goes still. Not a slow bringing back to normalcy. Just still. I would like to thank the sound booth for that, but I think that's above. Um, that is too kind. And the disciples are now more afraid of Jesus and what he just did than they were of the storm. They got a quick lesson in the God who powerfully creates, powerfully cares, and powerfully confirms that what he says he's going to do, he's absolutely going to do in his time and according to his wisdom. See, our God not only creates, he creates with an unstoppable purpose. He made the lake they fished in, put the water in it, the wood that made the boat, the iron that they used to hone the, hone the nails. They, uh, they, they, extracted the pine resin from the pine tree to use it as something of a water coating for the boat. He made the cotton, the flax that comprised the, the, the fabric of the sail. He created it all. He made every man, the adrenaline that went through their veins as they think they're drowning, the, the blood that coursed through their hearts that were probably beating at about 150 beats per minute at that point in time. He sees to it that all that he has intended takes place. 
That's what providence means. Providence, pro vide, okay? The, the prefix pro, forward, vide, to see. Scripturally, it means to see to it. Not just to see it, but to see to it. To attend to what he intends to do. God attends to that which he intends to do always in his time. Proverbs 16, 9 tells us this. The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his, his steps. That doesn't mean we don't make goals, we don't make plans, we don't study, we don't work hard. None of that, none of that means that we just, let's just wait around for God to show up. It doesn't mean that at all. The scripture tells us just the opposite of that as well. But it does tell us that God superintends over those things. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, Proverbs 19.21. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We just simply say, Lord, these are the plans, but I'm giving you room to do what you want because you know this is what I think I'm called to do, so I'm going to do it. And if I'm not supposed to do it, you stop me because I believe you have providential plans over all of my life. You are in charge. I call you Lord, and I want you to be what I call you to be and who I believe you are. So what do we know about creation? Here's what we know. God created all things. The question for you and me where I believe we should ask the Lord to give us clarity. This is the question. Is do I simply give mental assent to the doctrine of creation and providence and actually walk as a practicing atheistic fatalist or deist when the storms begin to churn and when the stuff hits the fan? Or do I walk as a follower of Jesus and declare I believe Romans 8.28, which says this, and we hope that for those, it doesn't say that, and we pray, and we keep our fingers crossed, it doesn't say that, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You know the problem with this scripture? We've memorized it, and we think we know it. But we don't know it, even though we've memorized it. I need to know this. This is what Paul wrote. And we know. Do you know that this morning? Do I know that this morning? Do I hang on to that? Am I grateful for that? Or have I just repeated that, you know, Romans 8, 28? So many times it's just been turned over and had all the meaning shaken out of it. This is the truth, brothers and sisters. We need to hold God is at work in all things. So they make no sense or they make perfect sense. We know that. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you do not believe the God of the Bible. You don't believe the gospel. Well, first, thank you for enduring me up to this moment. But let me say something to you concerning Romans 8, 28. That scripture does not yet pertain to you. But that does not prohibit the God of the Bible from working all things as it pertains to you according to the counsel of his will. Wait, are you saying that God's will is bigger than my will? Are you saying I don't have a free will? Um, well, you have a will. It's just not quite free. Not as free as you would like it to be. And I don't have time to go into all that, but understand this. No human has ultimate or... A, decisive will we humans don't get the last word god gets the last word his will is decisive his will is ultimate you know you can you can go into a prison let's say hopefully none of you will do that but if you happen to go into a prison you have a will as far as the electric fence and the barbed wire and you have a will as far as the guard and the, and his guns and you have a will as far as the bars and your bed. But they are restricted by a greater power that determines. So here's the good news. We have a will. Here's the better news. God has a bigger will. And we should be grateful for that. His will for us is ultimate and decisive. He is either Lord of everything, or as we've heard it said, he is Lord of nothing at all. Even the fact that 
that maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. You, you've, you've wrestled to believe that the God, in the God of the Bible because you can't believe an all-powerful God, loving God would allow the things that have happened to you to happen to you. You have yet to see the big eye, that the big-eye God has come to you in the incarnation of his son, Jesus, so that all of your pain and all of your suffering and all of your torment and all of your sin could be swallowed up in the pain and the suffering and torment of his son who bore all of our sins so that our pain and torment and suffering would be for just a moment and that that pain and torment and suffering would not last forever in a Christless eternity. The almighty, all-knowing, all-present God of the Bible who was and is and is to come, Revelation 4.9, knows every hair on our heads, Matthew 10.30, has knit you in your mother's womb and has ordained every day that you will live on this earth, Psalm 139, verses 13 and 16, do you say that's nonsense? Okay. But what could be more nonsensical than believing there is no God with no plan, with no purpose, purpose, with no sense, and that nothing really pertains in this world to anything but luck, chance, or fate? And that suddenly, before the universe began, these couple of amoeba, little bitty guys, they did a little dance, they made a little love, and they got down, and from that little experience, bam! From the littleness of those amoeba come a big bang, and look what get, gets birth. I'm sorry, with all due respect, I, I have a difficult time. I don't have enough faith to believe that. I want to ask you this morning to stop. Stop trying to make sense of an infinite God who is beyond our finite ability to reason, to think. Stop sailing the rudderless boat of your life and invite Jesus to take you through and be with you through the storms of this life and the perfectly breathtaking sunrises and sunsets of this world that he has created until the day your boat reaches the shore of his heavenly kingdom where you will be met with open arms by the one who was with you, is with you, and will ever be with you. Now to close, um, if the worship team would, would come back up, um, let me share with you a story of God's providence that includes and impacts every one of us in this room, those of you who are watching. Uh, I kind of hesitated to share this, um, but I thought it would be a helpful exclamation point for us this morning to think about and to think more deeply about God's providence in every aspect of our lives. You know, many times, if not most, actually, if not all the time, we don't even recognize God's providence until it's in the rearview mirror. This already happened. I love what John Flavel, Puritan minister, wrote back in the 1600s. He says, the providence of God is like Hebrew words. They can be read only backwards. I love now, if you don't know how, how, how Hebrew is read, then you have absolutely no idea what I just said. But it can be read only backwards backwards. Well, fortunately for you, I'm not going to be starting at the beginning of my story in ancient Italy. Um, I don't exactly know where it begins, just that this is a part of God's story that he's written me into. It's all God's story that he's written us into. I graduated from LSU in 1978. Annette and I married three weeks later. I had no job. We were attending a small church uh, that we were introduced to shortly after our salvation in, in 1976. To say at least, this church was peculiar. Uh, but it's where God had us. Bob Officer can tell you. 
because he was a part of that peculiar, not that Bob, you were peculiar, but it was a peculiar place. Keith had a chance to go there, but Peter. At one of the services where there was typically no more than 20 to 25 people present on a good day, a time of asking for prayer requests took place. One of the members asked for prayer because the, the school where he taught and coached needed a science teacher and an athletic coach. The little school in River Ridge was Kehoe Academy. Well, after prayer time, I beeline my way to that guy that had that prayer request. If there was anything I was interested in doing, was coaching. But if there was anything I was uninterested in doing or unqualified to do, was teaching science. I'm certain some of the students could have taught that class better than I. But armed with my LSU BS in, B, BS, in, in general sciences, I got an interview and somehow God miraculously made seeing eyes blind. They hired me. They hired me. These folks must have been really desperate. But I did negotiate an amazing salary of $695 a month. So I was feeling pretty good. Well, I started there in September and soon after asked the administration if I could start a Bible study on the campus in the gym during lunch. And miraculously, again, they said yes. And every day I taught something of a Bible study where a small number of students would gather in and then about 10 to 15 would show up even more when on, on a rainy day they would gather into the gym. Well, one day a couple of students, they were freshmen, came in to the study in the gym. One of them I'd never seen before. I was glad they were there and they became regular members of the lunchtime Bible study. But then I learned that the new guy wasn't chasing God. He was chasing a girl who was chasing God. You know, God works in those things. And by the way, this was no next generation ministry where, you know, I, I buy the pizza and they go, I couldn't afford the box that the pizza was going in, much less pizza. But I found out a bit more about this 14 year old girl chasing freshman who had re-enrolled in Keogh Academy after the school year had begun. It was interesting. You see, his dad, who was extremely conservative, financially responsible, knew what Kehoe was going through and that they were not going to financially survive. So in the eighth grade, his dad decided to make plans for his son to go to an all-boy parochial school for the ninth grade. Well, his son had spent six weeks at that parochial all-boy school and hated it. He begged his parents to let him go back to Kehoe. Eventually, they caved in and returned to Kehoe in early October of his ninth grade year. Well, the school, according to the prediction of his father, did not survive the school term, closing in April. But it only needed to stay open through February, because in February, God saved him. And that young man today is our senior pastor, Keith Collins. God works everything according to the counsel of his will. And are we not so grateful? Now, here's my non-altar call, altar call, uh, unless you want to come forward for prayer this morning. And we do welcome you to come forward for prayer. Sit down today with the Lord and remember remember the things he has done to bring you to where you are today and then rehearse the things that he has done with those whom you love your spouse your kids let your kids be encouraged small group rehearse these divine truths God clearly desires us and directs us to do those things that I'm just encouraging us to do before the day is out. Remember and rehearse God's providential care over your life. Here's what Psalm 145 says. And this is it. One generation shall commend your works to another 
and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness I pray that the Spirit of God has spoken to all of us today and that we know more of God's loving providence and in knowing that we know our lives are not an accident our storms not an accident and our being here today was certainly not an accident I want to ask you to pray with me if if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ yet if you've not seen yet or experienced yet his providence working over you all over you wooing you all around you I, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer today and surrender your life to the one who gave his life for you I want to encourage you to pray with me now if you've received Christ pray for those who may be praying this prayer right now Lord I see now that I've lived a little I life trusting in myself I'm flipping the telescope now so I can see as you see I invite you into my life take over my life I confess I realize now that I not only desperately need you but want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life on this day, July 11, 2021, and all of my days until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you, tell somebody. Let them know what God has done in your life. Call the church and let us know so we can get together with you. And get you a Bible and materials that will help you and continue to pray with you and build a relationship with you let's all pray now um, father your ways are higher than ours your thoughts are as well grant us grace to believe you and your providence over our lives even when it doesn't make a speck of sense teach us to abide in you and find rest in you in the middle of our often storm-tossed lives that we would live as a church radiating the glorious image of our God and Savior Jesus Christ in whose name we pray amen if you need further prayer if God spoke a word to you this morning about you feeling unwanted or unneeded please come let us pray for you if you're sick let us pray for you and let the Lord minister to us as Keith leads us in a song before we adjourn. the shore and steady anchor in the fury of the storm when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn in the suffering in the sorrow when my sinking hopes are few I will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be removed. Christ the sure and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on, when temptation the battle and it seems the night has won deeper still
sure and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief. Hopeless somehow, oh my soul now, lift your eyes to Calvary. This my last of assurance, see his love for Father, we thank you today. We thank you that you minister to our spirits every day. That you minister to us in ways that we don't even know. When we feel completely far off from you, Lord. That everything has a purpose. That you use every single thing good in our eyes, bad in our eyes to conform us and mold us into the image of your son Lord like Frank said earlier let Romans 8.28 not just be a verse that we memorize and that we mentally know but one that we believe heart, mind, body and soul in Jesus name, amen thank you guys, have a great day